Well, thank you. You guys are so nice. Uh, thank you for that. That was really nice of you guys. Thank you, uh, Chris, for the nice introduction. And he is being awfully generous and too kind. I mean, um, we were privileged to be a part of this, uh, this awesome church from the beginning, from uh, January of 2013 until we moved just a few, six months later. And so we were able to be, my, my wife, Jessica, she's down here with me. I got a few kids throughout. Uh, we got five kids and, and they grew up here in Washington, spent six years living here. My wife is from the town graduated a panther herself, and my kids, uh, yeah, and uh, one of my daughters attended school right here uh, for fifth and sixth grade, so we have a lot of great memories here, and during our time here, one of our favorite things that we got to experience was being a part of Connect Church for the short time that we were here, and so uh, basically how that worked was if, just out of curiosity, how many of you were a part of that pre-launch phase. Let me just see your hands. Okay, we have quite a few in this service. Okay, good. So, so you folks may remember me. The rest of you may have no idea who I am other than what Chris just said. But um, so we were privileged to be a part of that initial phase of the church when we were meeting over in Five Points once a month on Sunday nights. And uh, just love, love, love the city of Washington. Love, love, love this church. Even though we have since moved on, we live in Nebraska now. Don't be jealous, Okay. Yeah, Nebraska's awesome. Um, we live in Nebraska now, and, and life is very good there. We're a part of an awesome church there called Christ Place Church. We love it. But yet, when we're away, this is our home away from home. This is our church away from church. I'm looking around, and as much as I can make out faces, we have a lot of friends in this room, a lot of friends in this community. So this is a really special, special honor and privilege for Jess and I to be back with you and for me to have the opportunity to share today, I'm incredibly humbled by this, this opportunity. So uh, about a, a couple weeks ago, Dave texted me in the middle of the week and he said, he said, hey mate, he always calls me mate, you guys love it when he calls you mate, I love it. He says, hey mate, uh, you gonna be in town on Easter weekend, and, or Easter, what, what month am I in? Jeez, Thanksgiving weekend, we get to Easter soon enough, I'm trying to rush through the year, it's already gone fast enough. Well, are you going to be here on Thanksgiving weekend? I said, yeah, we're going to be in town. We got family there, so we're going to come and, and spend some time with them. He said, I'm going to be out of town. Would you want to preach at Connect? And I was just like, okay, uh, yeah, I'll do it. And then he came back at me with a request that I thought was just a little bit weird, to be honest with you. Um, he asked me at that point if I would be able to do, my, to, to do the entire message in my best British accent. It's weird, right? Right? Come on, that's not, that's not just me. He, uh, and, and so when he went, we were texting back and forth, and I was like, oh, that's kind of weird, but uh, I'll get back to you, mate. You know, and so I, I set my phone down, and I was sitting in my car. I was waiting for my kids to come out from school, and uh, I was picking them up that day. And I, I just sat there and did what any of you would have done. I practiced my British accent to see what I've got. And uh, not going to lie to you, it was bad, okay? <laughs> it, it was bad. I don't know how Dave does it. I don't know how he pulls it off and makes himself sound that way. It sounds so cool, though, right? I mean, like... Am I the only one who thinks that when you use a British accent, you actually sound smarter than you really are? Is anyone else with me on that? You know what I mean? You know, when you're trying to sound smart and snooty, you kind of pop out your chest and, and do the British accent, put up your pinky or whatever, and, uh, and it's, it just sounds like it carries a weight of, like, this guy knows what he's talking about. So, And no, I'm not saying anything about Dave's intelligence. Please don't go back and say I insulted him when he comes back, because I love that man. I love your pastors, Pastor uh, Dave and Casey are without question some of our favorite people on the entire planet. We think the world of Dave and Casey. And don't you guys love them? Aren't they the best? Aren't you glad to have them? Yeah. Dave and Casey, 
wherever you guys are, we love you guys. And uh, would you let them know that some, in some form, in some way this Christmas season, would you just go out of your way to, to, to communicate to them how much you care about them and how, what a blessing they are to you and your family? And no, he did not ask me to say that. So, um, so anyway, he asked me to, to do the British accent thing. And, and, and uh, so I was sitting in my car and I practiced and it was bad. And uh, so my British accent, just so you know, is somewhere between... I would say, like, it's got a bit of Australian in it, you know, and a little bit of Scottish, and a little bit of, like, Pig Latin somewhere in there, too, you know? It was, like, nothing even close to British sounding, but I, I, so I texted him back, and I said, sorry, mate, can't do it. Uh, Is my Nebraska accent going to be sufficient for for that Sunday? And he said, yeah, I guess that'll have to do. So, so here I am. This is my Nebraska accent. Can you all understand me? Okay. Yeah, I've, under, I, I've been told it's pretty strong, it's pretty thick, so um, hopefully you can, you can follow along pretty well. Hey, I have the privilege this morning of kicking off our new series here at Connect entitled, All I Want for Christmas. Now, just out of curiosity, how many of you are already receiving Christmas wish lists from kids in your life? Kids or grandkids or nephews or nieces? Okay, a lot of Christmas, yeah, people are receiving those Christmas wish. Be honest with me. How many of you have received one from your spouse already? Let me see the hand, okay. Yeah, some spouses are worried and nervous that you're gonna mess it up and maybe get them socks and underwear and they don't want that, so they're gonna put it on a list and say, this is what you are allowed to get me, right? My 13-year-old daughter does it in the form of a Pinterest board. Does anyone else have a Pinterest wish list? Okay, you're all liars. Some of you ladies, I know you have them. So this is the time of year when we're getting these Christmas wish lists together. So I I went online, I I found a couple wish wish lists that I wanted to share with you. I, I, I love kids and I love seeing what their heart's desires are. And so I found a couple that I wanted to share with you today. And so the first one we've got here is from um, a a child and it's kind of rough handwriting. So I'm going to do my best to translate as much of it as I can. The first thing there says a new American girl doll, the doll of the year from 2014. How many of you have seen one of those on a wish list in your home before? We've seen that a ton of times uh, with, our, with our three girls over the years. Uh, let's skip down. There's, a, there's another thing. It's probably like the third thing on there, but it, it, it's, I love it. It's one of my favorite all-time Christmas requests. Little girl asks for a little thing that can turn into anything at any time. How many of you want one of those, right? I would love to have one. I told my wife, put that on my list. You can probably get it at Sharper Image, if maybe Sky Mall, who knows. Um, and then she goes on, she, has, uh, she wants a thousand bucks, she wants uh, green, purple, and pink North Faces, because let's be honest, you can never have too many North Face jackets, right? She wants it all. Uh, she wants all of the Beanie Babies, and she wants a pet puppy, and I love the, the, the specificity of, the, of her request. She wants a, a Border Collie with a, uh, a peace sign collar and a leash. How cute is that, right? So, so that's one of the lists I found. Here's another one. This one's loaded with some pretty good stuff, too. This is Cora's list. I'm guessing Cora had help from her mom or dad uh, in writing this down. I know that's kind of hard to read, but so let me, I, I've written them down. I want to just kind of go through these. These are cute. She wants <coughs> a pretend, a bird cage with a pretend bird to start off. That's kind of cool. Not sure if the bird is pretend as in she imagines it or if it's a toy. I, I haven't figured that one out, but she wants pink and purple roses that are tied together with a pink ribbon. Very specific on that. Pink and purple roses tied together. Uh, she wants seven headbands, which is obviously one for each day of the week, right? Uh, she wants a small Christmas tree and some ornaments to go with it. Very cute. She wants, I love this, she wants flowers that aren't tied together, okay? So just to be clear, she wants some flowers that are tied together, 
and other flowers that are not tied together, just so she covers all the bases, right? So she also wants a pad of food stickers and a pad of animal stickers. She wants little cookies, and then this is really cute. She wants fancy shoes. She wants one of them to have a black flower and the other one to have a pink flower, Okay, isn't that cute? Have you ever seen, that, that's going to be a little bit tough to buy for, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm guessing. But uh, she knows what she wants. I love a kid who knows what they want. So today, as we're kicking off this, this series entitled, uh, All I Want for Christmas, I have the privilege of, of giving you the first message, which is entitled, Some Assembly Required. And I want to start off with a verse from the book of Ephesians. It's actually a letter written by the man, the Apostle Paul, written to a church in the city of Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey. I know, too much information, right? I love to do that. I love to blow you, know, blow you guys up with, with information. He, but he writes, he writes this letter to them, and in, in the second chapter, in verses 8, 9, and 10, he writes these words. This is where I want to start today, and then we'll come back and we'll finish here as well. He says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. <coughs> and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that you have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's, everyone say that word with me. We are God's masterpiece. We are his masterpiece. Hold on to that thought. Like let that just sit there on the forefront of your frontal lobe for the next few minutes. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can go and do the things that he planned for us long ago. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, that you are a good God, and that you have good in store for those who are, are, are identified by you, identified by faith. And so, Father, I pray that this morning you would give me an ability beyond my own ability, a supernatural ability to communicate in a way that is clear, direct, concise, and your word. And I pray, Father, that you would give everyone here today ears to hear what the Holy Spirit would try to communicate to our hearts and just let us understand what it is you want us to, to, to comprehend today. In Jesus' name. Amen. So on Thanksgiving Day, my uh, family and I went over to, we live in Lincoln, Nebraska, and there's a town about an hour and a half away called Grand Island. If you've ever driven west on I-80 to Colorado or California, you've probably driven past Grand Island. That's where my sister lives. And so we, we, we drove that way and spent a couple hours in the car in that morning. We got to my sister's house on Thanksgiving morning, and we walk in, and it's fairly early in the morning. It's probably about 9.30 in the morning at this time. And everyone, my family's kind of sitting around, and some people are working in the kitchen, and some are doing other things throughout the house, and just a lot of activity going on, a lot of, a lot of commotion. The cousins are seeing each other and getting crazy and getting excited. It's a lot of fun, a lot of energy. And my nephew, who's just the cutest little guy, his name's Owen, he's five years old, he runs up to me, and he's so excited to see me, and, and I think it's because I'm his favorite uncle, you know? Like, I'm thinking, okay, this kid, look at how excited he is that I'm here. And he runs up to me, and he says, Uncle Andy, Uncle Andy. Will you please help me set up my toy? <laughs> Will you please help me put together my toy? And, I'm, and so now I'm thinking, oh, I see, ulterior motive. I, this whole time I thought he was just excited to see me. He's excited because he's probably asked everyone else and everyone else has said no. Uh, and so here's Uncle Andy. Let me see if he'll do it. So I'm thinking, yeah, I can help do a toy. What are you talking about? You know, I'm thinking like, I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking. I was thinking some kind of toy that needed to pop back together or whatever. And so he takes me downstairs and shows me. And before my eyes is a set of about 10,000 little plastic pieces scattered throughout the basement that somehow fit together to form a contraption where you dump a marble and it goes dink, 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 and it goes through holes and it goes down levers and it goes over bridges and it goes, and it is the coolest toy ever, but I hate it because I have to put it together. You know what I mean? 
and, and so I'm sitting there thinking, oh, that's the toy you, uh, oh, what was that? Somebody's calling for me? And sure enough, my sister was calling for me. So I, I was able, that's the kind of uncle I am, I commit to something and then I say, sorry kids, something else came up. Um, no, I'm sorry, it's, it's not that bad. But my, my daughter, my 13-year-old daughter was like, here, Owen, I'll play with you. So she took over and I had to go and do something with the turkey or whatever it was. So I went upstairs and I didn't have to deal with it anymore. But the point of this is that sometimes when I see those toys, my heart sinks just a little bit because there's something inside of me that I don't want to have to wait for it to be assembled before it can be enjoyed. I don't want to have to wait for it to come together and for all the peace. I want to enjoy that item right now. That's just the part of my nature. That's what I I want to be able to, to open the box and it pop right out and it be ready to go and I can put, drop the marble in and boom, there it is. You know, that's kind of a little bit of who I am. But the harsh reality, this is not that harsh, but for me it's harsh. The harsh reality of Christmas morning is that you're going to open, your, your children are going to open a lot of toys this, this coming Christmas and, and your wife is going to open some stuff or your, your spouse is going to open stuff, some stuff and it's going to require some assembly before that item can be enjoyed the way it's supposed to be. And I want to tell you something about you and me and everyone in this room. I want, to, I want to help you realize something. You and I are very similar to that. We come into this world in fragments. We come into this world in pieces. And as life goes and we face hardship and we face difficulties and we face different sort of things that kind of come along and rock our world and shake us up and we face loss and we face all of these things, we become more and more broken, more and more fragmented, more and more separated from the kind of life we were intended to live. And when that happens, we are left to try to figure out, how do I pick up the pieces? How do I go on? How do I repair so that I can move forward and enjoy life the way it was intended to be lived? In the Bible, we have a lot of instances, a lot of examples of people who have, who have this sense of longing, this sense that where, where, they, where they understand that there's something inside of them that is not right. All is not well in the world. And there are people in the Bible and there are people in our world who feel this way very much. In the, in the Bible, there's a man named Job. If you know Job's story, you know that he faced an incredibly difficult season in his life. For Job, just about everything seemed to go well for a long time. And then all of a sudden, everything that could go wrong went wrong for this guy. And his family fell apart, and he had loss, and he had financial bankruptcy, and he had bad stuff after bad stuff. Has anyone ever been through that, you know? And, and in the middle of this season of, of, of difficulty, he writes these words. He says these words to his, his friends who were gathered around him. He says, and now, in the middle of all of this, my heart is broken, and depression haunts my days. There was a prophet in the Old Testament, a man, man by the name of Jeremiah, and he actually wrote an entire book called Lamentations. And if you think about it, a lamentation is literally a cry of despair. It's literally him saying all these things, these, this, he's, he's expressing this brokenness that is deep down within him. And in the, at the beginning of this, this, this book that he writes called Lamentations, he writes these words. He says, Lord, see my anguish. My heart is broken and my soul despairs, for I have rebelled against you. In the streets, the sword kills, and at home, there is only death. Have you ever been in one of those seasons of life where it, no matter how hard you try, you just look around and you just see 
fragments everywhere. And it leaves you feeling broken and, and in more sense of, a dis, of despair. Before we go any further, I want to help identify something. If you were to go to your doctor and start telling him the symptoms that you feel in your physical body, he would not treat the symptoms as much as he would try to treat the root cause, right? So as people, we don't, we're, we're wise to not just treat symptoms. The, the brokenness is a symptom, but the root cause is something more. What is that root cause? Let's get to the bottom of that today. The root cause of all of this is spiritual brokenness. Do you realize that you are a spiritual being at your core? Whether you realize it or not, you were created with your, 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 the deepest part of who you are is spirit, and that part of you was intended to live in connection with your creator, God. And until you have connection to him, until you have relationship with him, you always sense brokenness, and that comes out in different ways, and different personalities kind of communicate it differently. But until your spirit is whole, you cannot be whole. Just think about those words for a moment. Until your spirit is whole, you cannot be whole. You cannot feel the peace of God in this life that can be so chaotic when your spirit is not at peace with him. So, this raises the question, how do we attempt to fix the brokenness? How do we deal with it? How do we pick up the pieces and look uh, to, to, to fix what is broken and all of this? There are three ways that people generally go about this process of trying to repair, trying to fix. And I want to bring them all out. And I, I'm guessing that different people in this room are at different phases in their lives. And some of you might be dealing with phase one and some phase two and phase three. But I want to just kind of bring them out and I want to show you the results so I can save you some time with these. The first method that some people use for, for, for fixing what is broken within is what I would call the, the do-it-yourself method, okay? Do-it-yourself method. How many DIY do-it-yourselfers do we have in the house today? You got a few of us? Okay, yeah. Uh, I, I wasn't a do-it-yourselfer until I, my wife is very much a do-it-yourselfer, and she's such a do-it-yourselfer that I kind of get roped into do-it-yourself projects way more than my comfort level, uh, you know, I'm comfortable with. But I have become somewhat of a do-it-yourselfer. I still have no idea what I'm doing. I don't want to touch electrical or anything like that. But every once in a while, a project comes up in the house, and I've got, to, I've got to, you know, mess with it and give it a shot at least before I call in the professional. And so if you're a do-it-yourselfer, you may be familiar with this guy as I am. Go ahead. Does anyone know who this guy is? Who is this? Say it. There it is. Any of you guys shop at Ikea? Any Ikea shoppers? Have you ever wanted to punch this guy in the face the way I do every time I see him, right? This guy is the Ikea instructions guy, also known as my mortal enemy, okay? I hate him. <laughs> I, I hate this guy, and you want to know why? Because I find that furniture to be very complicated to set up. And he, the whole time, you see that big fat grin on his face? Like he's, smiling, like he's laughing at me and making me feel badly about myself because I can't figure it out. I don't, get, I, don't, I don't understand what he's laughing at, but it's got to be me. And so Ikea is one of those things where, like my wife loves that store. I put up with it, but there are a lot of reasons. Does anyone else have a problem with the fact that when you go in there, they force you to walk through their maze before you can get to what you want? Does anyone else hate that? Oh, I hate that. I absolutely hate that. It's like, I know what I want. It's on the second floor and it's way over in that corner. Just let me walk straight to it and don't force me through your maze. I mean, 
I just want to never go to that place again. But anyway, my wife shops there a lot, so I get stuck spending many, many afternoons with this fella trying to set up things. Now, if you're a do-it-yourselfer, you can probably relate to some of these um, some of these failures. Let me just show you a couple of these. Have you ever tried to put together an office chair? Yeah? Have you ever, have you ever done this? It, this is one of those office chairs, apparently, where you, you have to have a really tiny butt to sit down on that, and then you've got to have really, really good posture or something, because that doesn't look right. I don't know, I don't know what it is. Um, what about this one? Who wants to sit on that chair for, when you're eating lunch today, huh? Yeah, it's not going to be very comfortable at all, so something's wrong there. But I do this kind of thing all the time. I get done with the project, and I'm like, boom, it's done. And then I step back, and I look at it, and I'm like, that doesn't look right. <laughs> you know, it's upside down. I, wh- what did I do wrong? And then it just frustrates me to no end. Okay, let's see the next one. This is a guy who was putting together a bed and used the, the stepladder to uh, prop up the, the, you know, the one rail, you know, keep it level. I have been there more times than I care to admit, and that's not me in the corner, but I find myself doing this every time I do a project around the house. I can relate. This is how I feel most often when I'm working on Ikea furniture. Go ahead. <laughs> Cry for help, right? You know, you just, you set it up halfway, and, it, and this is what it ends up looking like, because you're like, somebody, SOS, come rescue me. Um, so in America, let me talk to you for a moment about this, this do-it-yourself mentality. When it comes to repairing brokenness, internal brokenness, emotional brokenness, spiritual brokenness, we tend to gravitate towards this thing that we call self-help. Self-help is a huge industry in our country. In the United States alone, there's about $10 billion a year, billion with a B, that is spent in this area, and and, and it grows at about 6% per year. So what does that tell us? People are hurting and people are searching for answers. And they're turning to Barnes and Noble, and they're turning to the, the self-help section of, of you know, the, the bookstore, and they're ordering books, and they're ordering videos, and they're going to conferences, and they're looking for every kind of resource they can find on the, on the subjects of, you know, that, that will help them to be a financial, you know, to find financial success, and to, to repair broken relationships, and to find weight loss tips, and, and spiritual wholeness, and things of this nature. And so, on and on and on it goes. People are spending billions of dollars a year looking for answers. But I want to ask you a question. <clears throat> With this industry growing and growing and growing from year to year, why aren't we seeing the results of it? Does it feel to you like things are getting better? Does it feel to you like, like people, I mean, if you really want to look at the situation, you're going to see that people are just as broken as they were before they spent the $10 billion Asking Oprah, how do I fix myself, right? And so they are go- this is a model, this is a mode, this is a means to repair that just doesn't work in our culture. And it was never meant to work. There's a second form that isn't far off from this that I want to I mention. Um, it's the second mode of, uh, system for people repairing themselves. And it's do it yourself with a little help from God, Okay? This is what I would call Christian self-help, Christian self-help. And this is what I mean by this, and this, this, this might hit home with some of you because I, I feel like a lot of us gravitate towards this. So we've sensed the brokenness, we sense our despair, and we try to figure out how can I fix this, how can I repair this? Well, let's see, I do know that God, the Bible is God's word. And so if the Bible is God's word, there has to be answers in there that will help me pick up the broken pieces. And so here's what we do. We crack open the Bible, 
and we look at it and we say to ourselves, okay, so what do I need to do to make all of this work? What buttons do I need to press? What sins do I need to stop? What spiritual disciplines do I need to begin practicing in order to make my life work and to fix the brokenness? And so we, we look through the Bible and we come up with a list of do's. In the Bible, there are a lot of good things that the Bible says, do this, do this, do this. Things like, you know, be involved in your, your church. You know, don't, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as some are in the habit of doing. Hebrews 10.25. It's about being involved, connected to other believers in, in fellowship and in, in church attendance and things like that. There's verses that talk about generosity, giving to the poor, meeting people's needs. There's verses that talk about relational accountability, hold up each other up in, in, in accountability and support one another. There are verses that talk about this good thing and that good thing and this and that and the other. And, and so what we do is we put together a list. There's this whole list of things that are good things that the Bible tells us to do. Those are my do's. Then on this side, we go into the Bible and we say, okay, what do I need to quit? So we go through and we find verses like Ephesians 5, 3 and 4 that says this, let there be no sexual immorality among you, no impurity, no greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. And so Paul is writing this to the church, and so recognizing that, good Christians say, okay, so these are some of the things that I gotta stop doing. I gotta stop being such a potty mouth, you know? I gotta stop laughing at my coworkers' nasty jokes. I gotta stop, you know, looking at things I shouldn't look at with lustful thoughts. I gotta stop all of this stuff. And so we think that the combination of doing a lot of good things in the name of God and not doing a lot of bad things in the name of God, somehow that combination will save us. Somehow that combination will fix us. Somehow that combination of doing good and not doing bad will repair the brokenness that we have sensed in our lives from a lo- for, for the you know, past several years. And I want to tell you something about this, and I want to try to connect the dots for you, okay? In the Old Testament, something that I'm talking about now, I want to connect the dots of this thing that I'm talking about to something in the Old Testament you may have already picked up on, you may be going ahead of me, but for those of you who aren't there yet, let me just help you fill in the blanks. What we're talking about when we do our list of do's and our list of don'ts is exactly the same thing as the law that God gave to Moses that consisted of, get this, 613 rules. Did you know that? A lot of Bible scholars, Jewish scholars, look in the Old Testament and they see there are 613 unique rules in the Bible. So do these you know, 300 good things and don't do these 313 bad things and boom, you're saved. Right? It's not right. It's wrong. In fact, in the Bible, the, the standard was from the Old Testament, when, when, when God gave the law to Moses in the first place, stick with me on this, this is important. God said to, to, to Moses, and he said to tell the people, if you obey me fully, then you will be my people. Then you will be my special treasured possession among all the people of the earth. In other words, you have to do it perfectly, all of the good things, or you fail. Now, does anyone else, does that, I mean, that, that sounds like a really, 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 really hard thing to do, doesn't it? To obey 613 rules 100% of the time without failing even once? That sounds hard. And in the Bible, that's what the standard was before Jesus came. And so, 
these people had all these rules that they were trying to live up to, and if you do it 100%, then you will. Now, I want to I ask you a question. How many people do you think saved themselves by 100% obedience to God's rules? How many people do you think have done that, uh, you know, in that, that Old Testament time? Just throw out a number. Yeah, a lot of zeros going up. Goose egg. Absolutely nobody ever did it completely. So here's the irony in this. The law failed to save even one person, but the law succeeded in something else. Do you know what the law succeeded in? Pointing people to their need for a savior. Because Galatians chapter three, you can, I'll just reference it and you can read it later. In, in Galatians three, Paul says, why was the law given? It was given to show people how sinful we are and how much we need a savior. So why am I saying all of this? Because Christian self-help and my ability to do a bunch of good things and not do bad things in the name of God is no, more, is no different from what the Jews tried to do 3,000 years ago. It is the same thing. And guess what? It didn't work then. Guess what? It doesn't work now. There is no way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help some of you out because some of you are on this path. Well, I, gotta, you know, I must be forgetting something. There must be something in the Bible I'm not paying attention to. I got, I got to do this and then, and then I'll fix and I'll repair and I'll whatever. And, and some of you are on that path. And I'm, I'm going to help you by stopping you on that track right now. And I'm going to tell you the end result is that does not work. It was never intended to. God wasn't like trying it and saying, hey, let's see if this works, if these people can save themselves. God knew that we could never do it. And that's why he gave all these rules. He had to show us how much in need of of a savior we are. So do it yourself, secular, which is not godly, that doesn't work. And I'm not against, you know, improvement and like, you know, reading books that improve who you are. But if that's your foundation for fixing, you are in a world of hurt. Is that clear? I'm not against like reading a book that talks about, you know, like I like Dave Ramsey's stuff. He talks about financial success in this world. I'm not against that stuff. Nobody in this house is, I don't think, you know. But I'm against, if, if, if that's my means for saving myself from brokenness, then I am, a, I am doomed if that's my only plan. So the first one didn't work. Secular uh, repair, of, uh, you know, do it yourself. Godly, if you want to call it that, repair doesn't work either, where we try to fix ourselves through doing good things and not doing bad things. Here's the, here's the one method for repair that will work. One method. This is the only one. You ready for this? Trust in Jesus. That's it. Do it yourself. Doesn't work. Trusting in Jesus does. Also known as grace. Ephesians chapter 2. I told you we were going to start there and we're going to come back to this. Ephesians chapter 2, I'm sorry, verse 8. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. For it is a gift from God. You know what grace is? Grace literally means that you have freely been given something good that in no way, shape, form, or anything you deserve, okay? You do not deserve the good thing that has been given to you. I do not deserve it, and and, and it, it, it actually has nothing to do with me. When God gives you a good gift, it's not because he looks at you and says, man, he's really trying hard. He is really doing his best, and so I'm gonna... 
do this great thing for him, whether it's salvation or some other blessing that he gives you post-salvation, whatever. It, it has nothing to do with your behavior. It has everything to do with him. See, we get so caught up in this, this mentality that I earn, I get what I earn, but the reality is that we get what Jesus gives us because he is good, not because we are. It's kind of a different kind of mode of thinking, isn't it? Verse 9, Paul goes on and he says, Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Again, it has nothing to do with your work, but it has everything to do with Jesus' belief, with your belief in Jesus' work. Does that make sense? Let me say that again. Kind of rewind. You know? Salvation has nothing to do with your work, but it has everything to do with your belief in Jesus' work. What was that work? Jesus left his home in heaven with God where he was recognized among the angels as the son of God, came to earth in a humble means as an infant in a humble city with a humble family where he wasn't even recognized by the, but a handful of people. He left a place where everyone knew he was God to, came to a place where hardly anyone knew he lived his life perfectly up to God's standards, which no one before him or since has ever done. He died a sacrificial death that he did not deserve in your place and mine. And he rose three days later from death to show that he is not subject to the power of the grave. Here's the power of this repair thing. It's not about what you do. It's about your belief that what he did is enough. Let me say that again. Your ability to fix and repair has nothing to do with what you do. It has everything to do with, the, with your belief in what he did that that was enough. What Jesus did was sufficient to not only save me, but to keep me saved, to repair my brokenness, to build up my life into a point of blessing God, when he first blessed Abraham years and years ago, the father of our faith, he said to him, I am blessing you so that you can be a blessing to the nations. And that same blessing still sits on God's people. God has blessed you so that you can be a blessing to others. But you don't do it by earning your way into that. Paul finishes by saying this, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he, has done, that he has planned for us long ago. That word masterpiece, there are other translations that say workmanship or whatever, but I wanna, the, the original Greek word is the word poemia. Can you think of an English word that we may have gotten from that? Poem, right? The beautiful art form of a poem, poetry. And, and this word that the writer says, we are his masterpiece. We are his poemia. Here's what that tells me. It tells me two things. Number one, he is the one who does the work. And number two, when he is done, we are a beautiful work of art. We are not broken. We are repaired. We are whole. We are everything we were intended to be. Our part in that is simply this. Surrender to his way. Today, you don't have to try to do anything. Today, you need to stop yourself and you need to surrender 
and it just looks like this. You pause and you say, Jesus, I am broken. I cannot fix myself, although I have tried. I need you to come in. I need you to pick up the pieces and put me back together. Amen. And if you do that, you're going to begin to see the dynamics in your life begin to change. It may not be overnight, but you're going to begin to see God at work in you over time. If you would, just bow your heads, close your eyes. I want to pray, kind of seal this up today. There are two groups of people here I want to pray for. Group number one, there are some of you who have never put your faith in Jesus. And as I talk about this today, you understand that you, you have never taken that step. You have never admitted that you are broken, you are sinful, you are hurting, and apart from God, you will never be made whole. And something inside of you today is telling you that, that this is correct, that, that, that God is in this, and he is drawing you to himself today. If that's you, and you recognize that you need to, a savior, would you just do something so simple and just slip up your hand just for uh, two seconds? And I'm just going to look around. I'm not going to do anything to embarrass you. I'm not going to draw you out or anything. I just want to see who it is I'm praying for. And I can't make out faces, so you don't have to worry about that. Just any hands at all. Okay, I'm seeing a couple hands across the place. Good. You can put them right back down. Praise God. Let me pray for you, for those group of people. If everyone would just repeat after me and just kind of, whether you prayed this prayer before or not, this would help. And for those of you who are praying it for the first time, I'm just going to ask you to pray it with everyone else in this room. Just repeat after me and just ask God, you know, to, to help you mean what you're saying. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for showing me that you love me. I am broken. I am desperate. I have tried to fix myself, but I have failed, and I need you. I turn my life over to you. I ask you to forgive me of my sin and fix me of my brokenness. In Jesus' name, amen. With every head still bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you're in this other group, the other group of people are people who ha would call themselves followers of Christ. You're a Christian, you've been in church for a long time, but you recognize that somewhere along the way, you gravitated towards Christian self-help and you've gravitated away from grace. You've tried to earn your, your, uh, you know, your right standing with God. You've tried to earn um, spiritual repair. And even right now, in the middle of your brokenness, you're trying to think about what you need to do and you haven't put on the brakes and asked Jesus to take the reins. If that's you, would you just raise your hand just, uh, just high enough? I just want to see who I'm praying for. Just hands all over the place. Good. Praise God. Hey, if you put up your hand, you can put it back down now. I am right there with you. I am the same. We have a gravitational pull towards this thing called works. I just want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these individuals who are honest with you right now. I thank you, God, that there's something happening in our hearts where you are drawing us back to grace. You're drawing us away from our own works because our own works are dead. The, the prophet Isaiah said that our best days, our own righteousness is like stinky, filthy rags to God. And so on my best day, 
I'm no more than a stinky, filthy rag to God when I try to earn my way into good standing with him. Father, I pray today that for those of us who, who are honest enough with ourselves to say, yeah, I've gravitated towards that, that work mentality, but I need to put the brakes on. I need to submit to his process. I need to surrender and put myself in the hands of Jesus because he's the only one who can save me. Father, I pray that right now you would begin to break that, that, that junk off of them. And Lord, there would be a sense of freedom, a sense of liberty that would arise in this place. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. One last verse, and then I'm going to close. <laughs> One last verse. And you can look, open your eyes and look at me. Um, in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus is speaking to a group of, of religious folks. It, before the church was started, and what, there was what we call Christianity. There were what I would call religious folks, religious insiders. They were the Jews. They were the people who were doing well with God. And he's speaking to them. And one day, he just calls out to them, and he says these words. He says, come to me, you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Why were they burdened? It was because they were so weary from trying to be good enough for God and trying to fix themselves. And Jesus recognized that this was a hopeless means, and he says to them, you have spun your wheels long enough. It's time to stop that. Come to me and you will find rest. Spiritual rest, physical rest. You'll feel it in your body. And that's the kind of promise that's available to you today. Come to Jesus and you're gonna to begin to see circumstances changing in your life even over the next few weeks. Let me pray a prayer of blessing on you. Father, I thank you for all these folks that here today. I thank you, God, for the families who have uh, uh, come together for Thanksgiving and, and recognized your goodness in their lives over the past year. I thank you, God, for the, the family opportunities that are coming over the next few weeks as people get together for Christmas. And I just pray, Lord, for each family who's represented here at Connect Church, Lord, there would be a sense of blessing and a sense of grace on each home, that everyone would walk in your favor, in your blessing, not because they are good enough, but because you're good to them. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have an awesome week. Hope you all come back next week for Jingle Jam, all right? <laughs>